you have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from LAist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes too when you donate now at laist.com sweeps. Hi, this is Larry Mantle, host of Air Talk on KPCC. Since the start of the coronavirus pandemic, we've had a daily segment on Air Talk devoted to the latest information about COVID-19. As time's gone on, we've looked at vaccines and how the virus and pandemic have affected the lives of Southern Californians. That includes doctors, nurses, epidemiologists, and other medical professionals fighting the virus on the front lines. In each episode, of this podcast, we'll speak with one of our experts on the rotating panel of AirTalk guests who will be sharing their expertise with us daily. You can also listen anytime at las.com, kpcc.org, or subscribe wherever you download podcasts. We begin with the very latest on COVID-19, and specifically the Omicron variant, as we have nearly 2,000 L.A. County hospital beds taken by patients who are COVID-19 positive. Joining us, co-chair of the Department of Emergency Medicine at Cedars-Sinai Medical Center in Los Angeles, Dr. Sam Torbati. Dr. Torbati, very good new year to you, and great to have you back with us here in 2022. Great to be with you, and Happy New Year to you and your uh, your audience. Well, thank you. Uh, doctor, let's talk first of all about what you're seeing specifically at Cedars. Are you seeing a significant increase in people coming to the emergency room with COVID symptoms, and are you seeing more people in the Cedars ICU? Absolutely. Um, you know, our, our experience is the same as what you're hearing from the county. Um, we've, we've seen a rapid rise in patients presenting to the ER and some requiring hospitalization for COVID-related symptoms. And, um, you know, the patients compared to last year this year aren't quite as sick, thank goodness, because I think uh, we, we have the vaccine and a significant proportion of patients have been vaccinated but for the ones who are not vaccinated, this this, this uh, variant is pretty pretty doggone aggressive. It's just like Delta; it gets them really sick, and many of them require oxygen and hospitalization, and some require ICU. Well, and and uh, it it appears though, at least at this point, we're not dealing with um, the same correlation between cases and serious symptoms and hospitalization. How much of that is because so many people now are, are vaccinated uh, and or boosted? And how much of this has to do with the Omicron variant not uh, creating symptoms as severe as Delta? Maybe a little bit of both. I mean, we have data um, from South Africa and from Europe that suggests that the Omicron variant isn't quite as aggressive. Um, but it's also far more infectious. So uh, the numbers are much higher. I think the numbers are going to continue to get higher and higher in terms of people getting infected. Uh, but the number of people that uh, end up developing severe disease and requiring hospitalization hopefully will stay low. And, um, you know, a lot of this has to do with the vaccine campaign that occurred and a lot of the boosting that occurred as well. And a little bit because of the, you know, difference in the um, and, and what this variant is compared to Delta. The bottom line is, you know, we were 
we, we're relatively saved by a lot of the vaccination efforts and boosting that occurred. I just wish there was more of it. We're talking with Dr. Sam Torbati, emergency medicine specialist at Cedars-Sinai, where he co-directs emergency medicine. I'd like to hear your questions about COVID-19. Yesterday, we had so many terrific questions, we didn't even have time to get to all of them. So please get yours in early today as it increases the chances we'll be able to uh, get it asked of Dr. Torbati. 866-893-5722, 866-893-KPCC. You can also email us, but please include your first name and your location when you do at atcomments at kpcc.org. You can also text us. uh, uh, I'm sorry, you can also um, uh, tweet at Airtalk, and uh, you can ask your question there. Please include your first name as well. But again, you can email us. That's the most popular way for people to ask a question comments at kpcc.org. Annie in Hollywood says, my boxing gym isn't enforcing masking. They say they have a bunch of the doors uh, open along one wall, uh, and that's open all the time. That's sufficient airflow is their claim. Annie wants to know if that's accurate. Well, it, having some airflow is better than none, but Annie, uh, what you're hearing in the news and, and what we're experiencing with the Omicron variant is that it's highly, highly contagious. And uh, absolutely, you know, just airflow is not sufficient. Um, if somebody has it, they may not even be symptomatic. They're going to come, they're going to breathe all over, and everybody around them is going to get it. So uh, it's a really, really good idea for everybody right now to be masked and wear a, a well-fitting mask at a minimum. Uh, one of the things I've seen with some of the outdoor restaurants is because of the the weather that we've had lately, they've put up plastic along um, the sides. So there's there's very little airflow because you've only got a small small part that's open. And I understand they're doing that for the comfort of the diners, but it it seems to largely defeat the purpose of people eating outdoors. You're right, Larry. If if air is not moving, uh, it doesn't matter whether the barrier is a wall or a plastic barrier. The the risk of Omicron hanging out in the air and somebody else breathing it and contracting illness is high. So it's a concern. All right. We have David in Pasadena who asks, is there any information or research about whether Omicron is uh, more transmissible from hard surfaces such as countertops or doorknobs than Delta? I haven't seen any of that data, David. And and in general, um, our understanding of coronavirus 19, regardless of the variant, is that this is a primarily a, a virus that's that's transmitted through through aerosols and air. Uh, it's it's it, the predominant uh, mode of transmission is is aerosol and through breathing. It's not so much through contact. It's always a good idea for people to wash hands and clean surfaces, but it's really what you're breathing that matters. That's where everybody's focus needs to be. What am I breathing? Who am I around? How close am I? Are they sick? Is anybody coughing? That's the kind of thing everybody needs to think through. I just got the updated numbers for Los Angeles County hospitalizations. The state of California just released them a moment ago, and it shows that L.A. County has now searched well above the 2000 mark. As of yesterday, we were approaching it. We're now at 2,240 COVID-positive patients in Los Angeles County hospitals as of this morning. 
Uh, of those patients, 303 are in intensive care. That's an increase from 278 in intensive care yesterday. Uh, Dr. Torbati, are, are we seeing with those in intensive care, they're having the same kinds of lung problems as earlier, because one of the one of the things uh, that I was reading about Omicron is it appears possible the reason it doesn't, on average, produce symptoms as strong as Delta, is because it's not as effective at getting into the lungs as Delta. So I'm wondering, in the case of those in the ICU, whether we're seeing a difference in terms of lung function. Yeah, Larry, it's a little early because um, we're we're a little bit early in the understanding of what this Omicron variant is going to do. If you remember, with every uh, spike in activity and COVID activity, there's the early phase of people just getting sick with mild disease. And then it was a week or two or three later when people start developing more severe disease. That's more in the inflammatory phase. That's more in the phase of the lungs getting stiff. Um, And exactly how this plays out with Omicron, I think time will um, sort of tell. We're hoping that the data that came out of that, that's coming out of Europe and what, what's coming out of uh, South Africa is what we experience here in the states, which is that less of it will transmit into severe illness and the need for ventilators. But we also have to be cautious because the numbers may just be much higher, and the experience in one country doesn't always transmit. So there's a lot of good theories. Uh, I, I I think uh, I think time will tell us exactly how things are going to shake out. And we're looking at probably a good month of, you know, increasing activity. I'm assuming that of those in ICUs, and I don't know if you're, you know, have the data for Cedars, that you're seeing overwhelmingly there people who are not vaccinated. I understand that there are in rare instances, fully vaccinated people who might end up very, very sick if they have underlying conditions that have left them highly vulnerable. But are you seeing that at Cedars, that these are are generally unvaccinated people in ICU? Oh, absolutely. The the, the patients who are developing really terrible disease and requiring ventilators in the ICU are those that are unvaccinated predominantly and some patients who have significant immune system issues where if they were vaccinated, the vaccine didn't take. The, the, this, this is behaving the way we anticipated it would behave, which is, you know, the vaccine could have prevented many of these scenarios. And it just continues to break my heart as I see patients presenting with either mild or more severe forms of disease where it could have been prevented had they been vaccinated. Do you have conversations with those folks about... Um, why they've chosen not to get vaccinated or when you're providing emergency care, is that just not the time to have that conversation? Well, if if the opportunity is there, you know, it is nice to understand why. Um, sometimes the patient is too ill uh, um, and isn't in, in any kind of position to have that kind of social conversation. But, you know, I continue to hear the same things that we heard in months past, which was, you know, a little bit of denial, a little bit of fear of the vaccine, a lot of misinformation that they heard from others. And it's unfortunate that those conversations and the misinformation and the fear of of the vaccine led to people not getting protected. Dave in Monrovia, good to have you with us on AirTalk with Dr. Sam Torbati. And I understand you're an ER nurse. I am. And my question for the doctor is, I can't get get, uh, uh, tested at work because the testing 
the testing at work is for the unvaccinated personnel, and they get tested every every so often. And I can't get tested. I'm fully vaccinated. And I've run out of tests. When Omicron first came around, I got some home tests. And you get these mild symptoms, sore throat, itchiness, and I'm fatigued. I'm really fatigued from work. I'm going into work now. So I test myself. I'm consistently negative. A lot of my coworkers have been positive, and they had very vi- uh, mild, vague symptoms. How accurate are the the uh, the antigen tests versus the PCR tests that we do in the hospital? Can I trust them? So the the data, and there's more and more studies being done at both uh, at the CDC and NIH level, looking at the accuracy of the antigen test as it compares to the PCR for. Omicron, the the early data suggests that the antigen testing is is not quite as good as the PCR, but it's pretty good. And so right now the the recommendations are that if your antigen test is positive and you're symptomatic, you have it. If it's negative and you're symptomatic, it's a good idea to get your hands on a PCR test within a day or two to see if you actually have it or not. All right. Uh, thanks. Oh, yeah, Dave, we were asking something else. Wish me luck with getting a PCR in a day or two. Yeah, it's it's awfully tough. Uh, Dave, thank you so much and wish you all the best on your shift at the ER. We're at 866-893-KPECC. Peter in Pasadena said, I know people say the virus spreads less in an outdoor setting because there's airflow, but... I want to know why that's the case, because it seems, Peter says, that with more airflow, the virus would spread more easily, given that it's airborne. Dr. Torbati, can you explain why airflow is good um, and, and the dispersal a net positive? Well, think of it as a dilution effect. You know, if you, um, if, if you take a, a, a drop of of ink and you put it in a small cup compared to put a drop of ink in a pool. The the when you have airflow, the 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 movement of air dilutes the particles and the less particles there are in the air, the less likely it is that you're going to breathe enough to actually infect you. And that's where that comes in. It's a pure dilution effect. Catherine in South Los Angeles wonders, how long will uh, the Omicron variant still linger in the air of a room if someone who's COVID positive was inside that room for a few hours? Great question. I, I have not seen any scientific data to look to see if it's any different than the other variants. I, I think we anticipate that you know the virus will, in terms of how long it stays in rooms will probably behave similar to to the other variants because the 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 molecule, the size of the virus, uh, everything is the same. It's just that the genetics are a little bit different. So uh, I think the the data is as it was before. And uh, what about elevators? I, I was hearing someone, uh, this was not on the air, but a medical professional, saying, oh, that, that um, the virus can linger in an elevator for, you know, several hours, which seemed odd to me because the doors of an elevator are opening and closing all the time. People coming and going are going to stir the air. Um, can, can you speak to that? I, I haven't seen any, any studies looking at elevators, but I imagine not all elevators are created the same. I mean, some elevators in some of the bigger buildings probably have a tremendous amount of aeration 
and movement of air, whereas a, a smaller elevator that may open and close less frequently in a small apartment building, for example, and may not have ventilation, may have different dynamics. So uh, it, I think the answer is it depends. All right. Andrew in Echo Park says, I had COVID about two weeks ago. Uh, I've uh, had uh, two doses of vaccine. I had to delay getting my booster because I contracted COVID. So I'm wondering how long, uh, if at all, will I be immune from catching COVID again? I think Andrew means without getting that booster shot. Well, um, we, we suspect that uh, you're, you're, you're going to develop natural immunity, assuming that you're, that you're healthy and your immune system isn't imper, you know, impaired for, for other reasons. And the guidelines currently suggest that you're okay probably for 90 days. Having said that, if you wanted to get a booster, you can. You can get a booster as early as 10 days out once you're no longer you know, uh, symptomatic or have fever and such. So uh, if you wanted to get the extra protection of a booster, you certainly can. Dr. Torvati is co-director of emergency medicine at Cedars-Sinai Medical Center. Uh, We have a question from Betsy in Los Feliz who emailed us, even though there isn't a stay-at-home mandate right now, if I can work from home, should I do that instead of going into the office? How much risk is there in an office setting if everyone is vaccinated and masked? Betsy, uh, you know, if everyone's masked and, and vaccinated in the office, the risk is low. Uh, it's not zero. Uh, what, what we know from the Omicron variant is that, you know, people can still contract it. And even if they're not sick, they may transmit it. Um, if it's just the same in terms of your productivity and, uh, you know, to stay home, why not? But you don't need to. I think it's your call. All right. Uh, do we have examples of, of where there had been significant... Um, job-related spread? Because it seems to me that what I hear about it is is largely people still getting COVID in the family gathering scenario or, um, you know, places they're going to bars or things like that, as opposed to the workplace. You're correct. I mean, most workplaces still have pretty good policies in terms of masking and spatial separation. But we believe that most of what we're seeing with Omicron has to do with people socially gathering, being around each other, being unmasked, and uh, and now now we're now we're in this situation. All right, uh, Veronica and Mar Vista says, are are you aware of uh, information from? Um, observations in South Africa that the Omicron variant might be providing some degree of immunity to the Delta variant? We, we, we suspect that every um, infection from the um, coronavirus variants provides some degree of protection against future variants. Um, and and that, that holds true when it comes to Delta protecting against um, Omicron, and I'm sure it'll continue to be the case from Omicron against others. And um, so, uh, in in some way, that's a good thing. And if and hopefully, as as people who develop mild disease with this infection, if they can get com- uh, immunity, especially if they haven't been vaccinated, that could be a good thing for us down the line. Well, and and you know, the other thing is that 
in South Africa, if I'm not mistaken, Omicron largely pushed out Delta. Here, we still, Delta's what, around 40% of cases or something. So I, I wonder if, if the mix there being different might have an effect. Um, possible. Um, we're beginning to see more and more uh, Omicron. Uh, I, I, I just saw some data from the CDC suggesting that in California, the number is closer to 90%, 90%. Oh, wow. Okay. That, that data was just came across my desk. Um, so uh, it, uh, whether it's pushing it out or just diluting the Delta by mm-hmm. a ton more Omicron <laughs> is, a, is a statistical discussion. But there is a lot of Omicron. And uh, as expected, it's a highly contagious and, and, it, and people are you know, happening to uh, pick it up. All right, Alexis in Pasadena emailed us. And Alexis, thanks for sharing your location. I want to remind everybody who's emailing us at atcomments at kpcc.org, please include your location and your first name. Alexis emails, I tested positive uh, last week despite being boosted and masked. My symptoms, blessedly, only lasted for about 24 hours. I'm sticking to the isolation plan prescribed by the state of California. But my question is, how long can I be expected to be contagious. So, Alexis, the the data um, on Omicron uh, shows that it uh, that people become um, symptomatic quicker, so the incubation period is shorter. And in people that are um, uh, vaccinated, especially those that are boosted, they are less. Uh, the duration of um, viremia and viral shedding is much shorter, which is why the CDC adjusted their guidelines so that within five days, if you're no longer symptomatic, you don't need to isolate any further. You just need to wear a mask for an extra five days afterwards. Nowadays, everyone's wearing masks anyways. So essentially, if you're vaccinated and boosted, five days of isolation is all you need. And it's wonderful to hear that you got the vaccine and you got boosted and this and the, and the infection was very mild for you. That's exactly what we hope for. 866-893-KPECC. Kathleen in Santa Monica says, I have a three-month-old infant that I've been breastfeeding. I'm vaxxed and boosted, Kathleen says. I have to fly in a few weeks. I'm just wondering about any additional precautions to help protect my baby on the flight. Um, you know, uh, you, you've done everything uh, right, Kathleen. Um, there's there's a little bit increased risk anytime you're around others. Uh, but I think you've done everything. I don't think there's much else you can do. Just be aware of your environment, and um, hopefully nothing else will come up. All right, Kathleen. Safe travels, 866-893-KPECC. You can also email us at atcomments at kpecc.org. Tony in Echo Park says, I've heard when you get swabbed for a COVID test, the temperature needs to be about 55 degrees, and that in addition to a nasal swab, a throat swab should also be done because Omicron is more present in the throat. Do you, Dr. Torbati, know anything about this? You know, I, I came across... Um you know, that through an email, I, I need to investigate. I'm not sure that, that that's been validated. I think for now, the, the, the data suggests for Omicron in particular, uh, nasal swabbing is the way to go. But I think uh, there's, there's potentially some, some data that may come out. So maybe we can have a follow-up about that in the upcoming week. 866-893-KPECC. Um, 
Dave in Huntington Beach emailed us, we've heard the advice to upgrade masks from cloth to surgical or N95 slash KN95. Are cloth masks with filter inserts similar to the materials in a KN95 mask okay to ward off Omicron? You know, the problem with cloth masks is is the fact that they, they're not as tight-fitting as as other masks. They are less fitting uh, to your face than surgical masks, and surgical masks are less fitting than uh, K95s. And uh, the challenge is that if it doesn't fit your face, you can get air coming in from the side. That's the challenge. It's not so much what's in front, it's what's coming in through the side of the face. So putting uh, that that better filter in is, isn't going to help you with the sides. A very I, don't, good point. I don't think so, no. George in Redondo Beach emailed us, are masks necessary for outdoor sports practices, specifically soccer and baseball? Um, boy, that's, a, that's an interesting question. Um, uh, I... The, the, there's arguments to be made that, uh, you know, it could impair breathing if you're in, involved in high impact. But at the same time, there's arguments to be made that it'll reduce the spread of, of aerosol if somebody happens to have it and they may not be very symptomatic. Um, so I, I think there's definitely arguments made to be both. If, if people can tolerate wearing them, probably a little safer, especially now that we're dealing with uh, Omicron. All right. Uh, Chris in La Habra emailed us, I work at a school. We're now rolling out N95 masks. It's my first time wearing this type of mask, and I've had trouble with excessive sweating under the mask. I've been double masking with a surgical and cloth mask for months. Would it be okay for me to go back to that? I think so. I, I, I think, you know, everything has to be proportional to what people can tolerate. I mean, if if we try to overshoot and get everybody to wear N95s and some people just can't tolerate them and, and they pass out or have other problems, then, then we defeat the purpose. So to the extent that people can tolerate the best fitting mask that they can, I think that should be our goal. We just need to be realistic and, 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 do, and, and do the best we can. Uh, Tom uh, emails us, how would uh, you rank on a continuum where a typical Omicron infection for a fully vaccinated and boosted person is compared to a typical flu? So, um, interestingly, uh, uh, um, Omicron for a typical person who's vaccinated and boosted will cause very mild symptoms. A little bit of sore throat, a little bit of scratchiness, a little bit of headache. Um, whereas traditional influenza, um, even in healthy people, can can make you quite symptomatic. So the vaccines and the boosters in particular have really done a terrific, terrific job of making sure that if people do get symptomatic from infection, the symptoms are quite mild. All right, 866-893-KPECC, or you can email us at atcomments at kpcc.org. Jeannie, in Studio City, you're on AirTalk. Hi, um, my question is, uh, doctor, can you be specific about what it means to be no longer symptomatic? I know it means no fever, but can you still have um, a bit of a uh, post-nasal drip? Can you still be blowing your nose? What what counts as no longer symptomatic? 
Boy, that is such a good question, Jeannie, because, you know, so many of us who've had other illnesses, not talking about COVID, might have, you know, it might take weeks to fully clear out after we've had a bad bout with something. That's such a good question. Dr. Torbati. Yeah, great question, Jeannie. I actually came up on a, on a call today with the, with the state about exactly that. And um, I, I think the, 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 the general uh, understanding around all of this is that if you're, if you're no longer f- having fever, fever is really important because if you're having fever, you're shedding virus. So we want to make sure you don't have fever. We want to make sure you don't have fever for at least 24 hours and that you're not requiring any Tylenol or Motrin or things to re- that can reduce the fever and artificially mask it. And we want to make sure that your symptoms are markedly improved. And the understanding is that if your symptoms are markedly improving and that you don't have fever, the likelihood of having virus goes significantly down. It's not zero, which is why masking is recommended for a minimum of five days after the five days of isolation. Um, nowadays, I think masking is just a good idea, period. So in environments where people are going to be together, just wear a mask. All right, Jeannie, thank you so much. And our final question comes from Sandra in Glendale. She emailed, I'm a health care provider. What are Dr. Torbati's thoughts on the new CDC guidelines for health care workers to return to work? Before Christmas, the CDC said health care workers with COVID-19 could return after seven days if they're asymptomatic and test negative, and the isolation time could be cut further if there are staffing shortages. So Sandra wants to know what you think think about that? You know, I'm okay with it. The, you know, healthcare workers are, um, they're vaccinated, they're boosted. I certainly hope they are. I mean, um, and they tend to be healthier. They tend not to have all of the medical comorbidities. And I think we need to balance the needs of the community and the needs of those who we serve. Um, and that's the balance when it comes to you know, creating policy. And I, and I think this, you know, I know the CDC got a lot of slack, but I, th- I think they're actually doing a pretty good job of walking the line. It's tough. Dr. Turbati, thank you so much. We appreciate your being with us as always. And we'll look forward to speaking with you again soon. Thanks so much, Larry. Thanks for listening to this episode of COVID in L.A. If you'd like to stay up to date with the latest coronavirus news, you can listen anytime at las.com, at kpcc.org, or subscribe wherever you download podcasts. See you next time and stay safe. I'm Larry Mantle. This program is made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people.